Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. All right. We are almost through uh, going through the book of Judges, something I never thought I'd go all the way through in a sermon series, and we're almost there. In fact, this Sunday is the last Sunday that will be on a judge. So the judges are the leaders, the heroes that God uses to deliver his people when they have sinned and, and fallen short, but they've been taken over by the peoples around them. And so we've been looking at those stories. Now, the book of Judges starts with two introductions. They're very similar, but they're making different points. And so the first two weeks, we went through the two introductions. Then it concludes with two, conclu- with two conclusions. It, con- it has two stories at the end that are connected, but they're making two different points to summarize the whole book. That's what we're going to look at the next two weeks. So this is the last week where we're looking at a judge, and we're looking at Samson, maybe the most famous judge, maybe the judge that most people have heard of, even if they're not um, Bible-reading or church-going people. They may have heard of Samson or Samson and Delilah, so we're going to look at that. Let me share a few things to set this up, though, from previous weeks. What we heard a few weeks ago or read a few weeks ago is that the people of Israel, these are the people who are supposed to be following God. They're supposed to be establishing themselves in a land to follow God. They are actually following all kinds of other gods. They're living like all the peoples all around them. They're not living distinctively. They're not living in good ways. They are, they are following evil. And it is getting worse and worse over the decades and decades. And so God says, I'm going to send the Amalekites, and he sends the Amalekites, and then he sends a judge, Jephthah, to deliver them, but he also says he's going to send the Philistines. And so the Philistines have taken over. It says in chapter 13, verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So here they are. The Philistines are over them. And in chapter 13, what we talked about last week is that they did not cry out. They have settled to just be like, yeah, this is just how it is. We're just going to live just like the other peoples. Maybe it's out of anxiety and fear because they're ruling over them. Maybe it's because they like their idols. They like the kinds of things they can do, and they don't want to follow God's ways. But they pretty much said, we're just keeping it status quo. And so God speaks to this couple who she is not able to bear a child. And he says, you're going to bear a child. It's going to be a special child. It's going to begin the work of saving my people from the Philistines. It's going to begin that work. Now, he's going to be set apart, so he's going to be a Nazarite, so you can't cut his hair, he can't drink any fermented drink, any, any drink from the vine, and he can't touch any dead, dead animals, dead bodies, because that would make him unclean, and that needs to start from, birth, from the time he's conceived, so it needs to start now with you, and then even once he's conceived, then that'll never happen. He shouldn't cut his hair, he shouldn't uh, drink wine or, or um, other juice, and he shouldn't touch any dead bodies, okay? He's going to be set apart because he's got a really special purpose. Now, it's an angel of the Lord who, like, goes up in the fire right before their eyes. I mean, this is a spectacular announcement. There's a way in which this hasn't happened with previous judges. And part of the reason it hasn't happened with previous judges is that the people didn't need this much for God to get their attention. But they are so into how the rest of the world is living. That is so normal for them that they aren't even looking for something different. They still know who the Lord is. They still know who God is. But they are basically living just like everyone else. 
And that's where their hearts are. And so there's this kind of spectacular thing that says, this child is going to be different. This child is going to begin something. There's something that's going to happen. I'm going to do something among you. Now, let's reread the first few verses of chapter 14. That's going to be the beginning here. We kind of, we kind of used it towards the end last week. This is what it says. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. So his parents have been doing what they're supposed to do in raising him up. And he is there to deliver them, just like the other judges have, to deliver them from the Philistines, from deliver them from these people. And instead, he goes, he sees a woman, doesn't act like, or doesn't sound like he meets her, he gets to know her, he just sees a woman, she's the one he wants, and then he goes and tells his dad, go get her for me, you know, go pay for her, as it worked back then. But also as it worked back then, the dad usually decided But Samson's like, no, I'm in charge. You're not telling me what to do. His parents are mortified. Can't you pick somebody from our own tribe? The very first judge that we talked about, Othniel, the very first judge in the book of Judges, it talks about his wife at great length because his wife was also a God-fearing woman. They were in covenant together. Their marriage was what it was supposed to look like back then. They were... We, now, by the time we get to Samson, something totally different's going on. He's, he's picking someone who has no interest, no awareness of following the Lord, just because of he likes how she looks, and he's going to go make this happen. Now, verse 4 says, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Here's the deal. Samson, we're going to see, doesn't follow the Lord. He doesn't do what he's been called to do. You think that if God says, I've got someone coming, they are going to be special. They're going to lead my people. They're going to free them. You'd think that that person would be like all in for God, totally following his ways. It's almost the opposite of that the entire time. But God could still use. So even though Samson didn't follow the way God would lead him to, to go, God's still going to use him. He's just going to allow, well, here are the decisions Samson makes. I'm going to use them. I'm going to arrange them. I'm going to do it for my purposes. Because what needs to happen is we, the, my people can't still be friends with the Philistines. They can't be yoked together with them. In, in, uh, later in the New Testament, it says friendship with the world is hatred with God. Like living all the worldly values, the worldly systems, it is usually diametrically opposed to living God's way. So friendship with the world's enemy is God. I don't want them to be, but they're not looking to leave. They're, they're content to stay there or they're afraid or they're whatever. They're just still living their own ways. So God's going to need to provoke something. So Samson and his parents, they go down to get this arranged with this woman. This is how it works back then. There's a, there's a part, by the way, I'm going to tell a lot of this instead of read a lot of the rest of this because we're going to cover a lot of ground. There's a part where, for whatever reason, Samson seems to be completely on his own, which symbolically is he's no longer under the control of his parents. 
They are being marginalized. He's going to do his own thing. As he's walking along, a lion comes roaring at him. And it says the spirit of the Lord comes on him. And he tears the lion to pieces with his bare hands just like one would a young goat. Which I don't know. I've seen goats. <laughs> Maybe I'm super. I need to do more grip strength things. But I can tear a goat apart. Sounds pretty hard. But anyway, he tears this lion apart. They go down. They see See the uh, woman, and the NIV says he, he likes her. He likes her. Now, something that I want to pick up on is there are, there's a play on words through the book of Judges. And it has to do with this. Chapter 13, verse 1 says that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What we're going to read the next two weeks the main, ver- main verses, and I'll explain in the next two weeks why we know it's, a, it's the main verse, the main idea, is that everyone did as they saw fit. What that really means is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the literal translation. They did what was right in their own eyes. So they're doing what's evil in the eyes of the Lord, but, but doesn't seem evil to them. It seems right to them. They've gotten to a place where what would, what would be not good, what, what's not good in their following of God, they can't even see that anymore. Everyone just does what they want to do. And it feels right to them, feels natural to them, this is what my heart's telling me to do, and they don't realize that gradually it's getting to be evil. Now what I just read, it says, Samson said, well, she's, she's the, the right one for me. But what it really says is, she, literally, she's right in my eyes. Then it says he, he went down and he liked her. Same thing. She was right in his eyes. There is this idea of how do we see the world? We could be doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, but we're following our heart. It seems good to us. Feels right to me. I got to have it. I love it. And that's what's going on. And Samson is a picture of Israel. He's supposed to be set apart, but he wants to be with everyone else. He wants to be just like everyone else. Well, Israel's supposed to be a nation set apart to show people what God's like, but they just follow all the other nations. He goes after foreign women. He's constantly going with foreign women. They're constantly going with foreign gods. There's this picture that's going on. Now, they must have worked out a deal. That's how it worked back then. They worked out the deal. Okay, this is going to be my wife. I'm going to come back and get her. So here's what's happened after that meeting. Verse 8, sometime later... When Samson went to, back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Okay. Honey, it's just, what's the big, big deal here? Well, if you were... Someone steeped in the Old Testament, a, a Jewish person, an Israelite who knew the Bible and knew God's ways, you would realize as you read that story, like, <gasps> it'd be like, <gasps> he, he went to the dead carcass, which would make one unclean, and he scooped out the honey. He wasn't supposed to do that. Nobody's really supposed to do that. He especially was never to do that. But he did. There's some phrases here. He saw this, then he took it, then he ate it. Then he gave it to his parents, but he didn't tell them where it was from because he didn't tell them where it was from because they would have died. 
They would have died out of horror that, that anyone would do that, but much less their son who was specifically said, don't do that. Now, this is supposed to remind us of something. In Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning, in the garden, the serpent is talking to Eve. And they, there is one tree they're not supposed to eat, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and the serpent is saying, like, no, you can eat it. Go, go ahead and eat it. It's not, it's not that bad. So here it is. Here's the serpent talking to her. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, when the woman saw it, Samson saw it, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, just like Samson took honey, and ate it, just like Samson took ate it. She also then gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Samson is not following God. He is, what, is, what looks good to me? What do I want? If it looks good, I'm taking it. If it looks good, I should get it. It's all based on what I want, what looks good to me. And, and I want to be able to do whatever I want. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I could be like God back in Eve. That is what's going on here. That's what's going to keep going on for Samson. Looks good, then that I need it. I want it. I'm going to have it. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. So, Many stories to follow here of Samson. I'm going to go through them, but I'm going to try to like give a little, little heading of what, what's going on here. So number one, we, we've already started talking about this. He saw a woman in Timnah, a Philistine city, and he went down to her, and he ends up taking her to be his wife. That's, that's the goal. So now the second thing that happens is that Samson ends up having a wager and then being betrayed by a woman. Here's, here's how, how it goes. There's going to be a feast now because he's getting married. That's the tradition at the time, a seven-day feast. In, in the customs of the day, there needs to be some companions. Now, Samson's in Philistine territory. He doesn't bring any Israelites with him. He's kind of a lone ranger, macho kind of guy. And so the Philistines have to have companions. When they see him, they're like, Woo, we're going to have 30 companions for him. This guy is a foreigner. He's intimidating. We're going to keep an eye on him. We're going to bring 30 companions. So they bring in the 30 companions for him, and, and so they're, what are they going to do? It's the entertaining party time, so he's going to do a riddle. Fresh off of this lion incident, he says, uh, okay, if I win, if I, if, if I give a riddle and you guys don't get it, then each of you gives me some garments, some clothing. But if you win, then I'll give each of you garment and clothing. So there's 30 garments of clothing at stake, but they would each have to pay up once, and he would get enriched, or, or he has to come up with, with 30 garments. So, oh man, I had it memorized, but now I'm blank. It says, so here's his riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. They're supposed to figure out what is he talking about. And they get mad, because they can't figure it out. And at first, what was like, hey, this will be a fun little wager, gets the, these, they start getting intense, and they go to his wife, and they say, you invite us here to rob us? You invite us here to take, take your, our stuff? If you don't figure out a way to use your womanly skills to get this out of them and tell us, we're going to burn you and burn your whole family, your whole house. We're going to take you and burn you. That's what she's got at stake. 
So she goes and says, Boy, how can you tell me you don't love me? Why you? And he says, I haven't even told my parents this. this really, oh. And she just wears him down until eventually he tells her. And so then right before sunset, right at the end when the, it's, the, it's time for the bet to come due, they say, well, what's sweeter than honey and what's stronger than a lion? To which he replies, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know that riddle, which is something we don't quote enough, I think, in church, that, that verse in the Bible. If you hadn't plowed with the heifer... Now, this is the picture of, of women are property back then. With my heifer. It's just a property. He is furious. The spirit of the Lord comes on him in his anger. So he gets power from God, but he's still operating in anger. He goes to another Philistine town, kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, and goes and pays up, and then leaves his wife and heads home. He just ticked off. Because she betrayed him. Well, she didn't really have much, much choice. Here's now. Next, next story that's going to happen is that Samson's going to be bound up and he's going to be turned over to the Philistines. So sometime later, he goes back to be with his wife. I guess, you know, not much of an intimate relationship there, but he's just, you know, okay, it's time for me to go be with my wife. So he, he goes in and her dad, meanwhile, had given her to a, one of the companions in, in marriage. So He's coming in, and he's like, oh, no, 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 don't go in there, don't go. Um, he's like, hey, I, th I thought you hated her, so I gave her to one of these other guys. Here, take her sister. Again, very, quite the, quite the culture back then. Take her sister. She's more attractive anyway. You'll like her better. He's like, now I really have a right to be angry. And he goes, and he takes 300 foxes. He ties them together in pairs, puts torches in their tails, and sends them loose into the fields uh, and burns up all the fields of the Philistines. Now the Philistines, by the way, this is what God doesn't want to happen. This is the, like everyone living like the peoples around them, it's just always this escalating violence, barbarian. So the fields are done. The Philistines come to the people of Judah. They say to the, to the people of Judah, like, we are here for Samson. This is what he's done to us. And the people of Judah are mortified. Because the people of Judah know, like, now these people don't like us. Now we can't just live like we've been living. Because it's all. So they go to Samson, 3,000 of them, and they get Samson. And they take Samson and they say, all right, Samson, here's the deal. You can't do this. We're screwed now because of what you've done. And he says, uh, if you promise not to kill me, then go ahead. Tie me up. Take me there. No, we aren't, we aren't going to kill you ourselves. They tie him up. And he gets over to the Philistines. The Philistines see them, sees Samson, and they start shouting and rushing towards him. And then just like some sort of superhero movie, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. He has power and strength. The ropes snap off. He takes a donkey jawbone and kills a thousand of the Philistines. That's the next story. So that he slaughters all these Philistines. At the end of that, it's, here's Samson's prayer. God! How could you give me this victory and now I'm dying of thirst? There's no water anywhere. Are you going to just let me die of thirst after this victory? He has no gratitude. He has no, he has just this sense of entitlement. And God leads him to a place where water comes out kind of supernaturally and he's able to drink. And then it says he rules, he judges for 20 years. Now he doesn't judge like the other judges. He doesn't lead people into victory. He's a solo operation. 
But what he does is he makes it so that the Philistines and the Israelites don't just peacefully coexist anymore. The Philistines start to hate the Israelites because of Samson. Now, we've just covered chapter 14 and chapter 15. We've got chapter 16 left. Chapter 16 has same kinds of stories, but everything escalates. So chapter 16 starts with Samson going to Gaza, another Philistine city, where he sees a woman, this time a prostitute. He sees the prostitute. He goes in to spend the night with the prostitute. Now, the difference, here, the difference is he's went into not just Timnah, a Philistine city. He's went into Gaza, the Philistine city, the capital. And while he's there, the people find out Samson is here. They lock the city gates. They say at sunrise, we're going to kill him. They've got the plan. He catches wind of it, and he sneaks out in the middle of the night. He takes the gates, pulls them out of the ground. The city gates of the capital city of the most powerful people group in the whole region at the time hoists them over his shoulders, walks uphill 40 miles to Hebron, and sets them down in triumph like, oh, you're going to trap me. The people in Hebron have got to be like, no. If you're ever with someone and they say like really obnoxious things with someone you don't know very well, and now you're like, oh, they're going to think, I think this and this is bad. That's what was happening for the Israelites. Like, he just does it. But he doesn't care. It's just how he, how he is, how he lives. So now we get to Samson's risky behavior and betrayal by a woman. So, similar pattern, but everything's escalated. So I'm going to read this part. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now I'm going to stop there. What in the world? I know that unlike the, his wife, who's unnamed, unlike the prostitute, who's unnamed. This says Samson actually loves her. So I know that there's this, you know, attraction to Delilah. Even so, for him to be in a position where he's tied up and she allows the Philistines to come in, seems like at that point you'd be like, well, I still like her, but I'm not going to tell her things. He does. And each time, it's a little bit more and a little bit long. The line moves, the line moves. So starts with fresh, fresh bowstrings. Then he goes to new ropes. Then the next time, after the Philistines come on him again, 
Jesus wears him down again, and this time he gets closer. If you braid my hair, if you braid my hair, then I'll lose my strength. She ties him up with braid. He has braided hair while he's sleeping, ties him up. They come in, he's on, they're Philistines. And then still, she wears him down. She wears him down. It says, uh, I don't know if we have this one. Verse 17, 16, verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. He's aware that his strength derives from God and that there's a connection there, but he doesn't really have much of a relationship with God. And here's the deal. This is the nature of addiction. Okay, he, he is probably a sex addict, but it's not just that that's going on here. He's probably an adrenaline addict. Like every time with the Philistines, something happens, and it's like super risky, and he still comes through. And for all of us, we get this thing where we got to be stimulated, we got to be stimulated, we got to be stimulated, and we can't just let some time be down. Then if we do let a little time go down, we get really depressed. Really. So we need even more. And we need it even quicker. And we need even more. That's kind of the nature. Well, that is where he's living. He needs the thrill. He needs, and he has compromised and compromised and compromised and not lived according to God's ways. So what happens is this time she shaves his head and Samson is tied up, but he doesn't have his hair. He doesn't have his strength. The first time he was tied up and given over to the Philistines, it was by his own people and he easily could break out. This time, it's by Delilah to the Philistines, and they take him, and they gouge out his eyes. The one who just did whatever was right in his own eyes. If it looks good to me, then I should do it, loses his eyes. Which gets us to the fourth thing where he once again slaughters Philistines, but this time in a totally different way. Verse 25, while they, the Philistines, were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. Now, so there's like thousands of the people, of the leading rulers of the Philistines there. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, all the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. So in the end, Samson got his revenge, but there was something different about that prayer compared to the other prayer for water. Remember me. Remember your promise for me. I, it's not that you owe me I'm not coming from a place of, of course, you should do this for me. 
It's more of a place of I need you. So when Samson was strong, and when he was getting what he wanted, he actually spiritually was weak. When he became weak, lost his eyes, wasn't focused on what do I need to have, what what should I get, nobody can be in charge of me. Once he lost all of that, he actually spiritually became strong again. There's a Puritan named John Flavel who said things around this topic. Outward gains are ordinarily attended with inward losses. So for those of us who who our ultimate goal is, I want a good relationship with God. Our ultimate goal is, I want to be connected with God. I I want to be focused on the things that are important to God. The outward things can distract us. The outward things can pull us away. The outward things can make us think we don't need God anymore. Reversely, inward gains, things like humility, self-control, wisdom, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, they're often attached to outward losses. When things don't go well for us, we get back into place, oh yeah, we need God. I need you. Now, Samson is this picture of a judge and deliverer, and it's horrible. It's all for himself. Even the end, it's revenge. But he's a picture of one to come. He takes those pillars and does this. And he dies, and it's the beginning of what's going to be a victory over the Philistines that ends with King David. But our true judge, our true deliverer, he did this. He died. But it's to open up this freedom, this hope of eternal life, this forgiveness of our sins, all of this, the the demonstration of God's love, it's to let that flow out from him. In 2 Corinthians, chapters, chapter 4, I think, it says 2. Uh, yeah, it should be chapter 4. That's wrong. All right, let me just look at it. I gave the wrong passage. Adam, it's ch- chapter 4, I think, 16 through 17. And end here in a moment. Oh, yeah, I got it marked. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So as I have the worship team come back up, all these stories about Samson, there's lots of, lots of things we could draw from. The thing that I'm most, that's rolling around in my eyes, is what are, what are our eyes looking at? What are our eyes focused on? We don't want to have to lose our eyes to be able to see our need for God. Even in our difficulties, even in our pain, even in our hurt, there is something that can be happening within us if we have eyes to see what is unseen. 
Let's pray. God, I thank you that we, our life is not limited to the circumstances we find ourselves in. However challenging or difficult those might be, however good or great those might be, our life is bigger than that. Our life is bigger than even these few years we spend on the earth. You have in mind eternal life. So I pray that you would help us in ways in which we are focused on the wrong things. That you would direct our eyes, the eyes of our heart, back to you again. That you would help us to see what is eternal, to see what lasts, to see what is most important. If there are any ways that we are doing what's evil in your eyes, but can't see that now, would you remove blinders? Would you help us to see the way you see our lives and the world around us? We thank you that you are our Savior and our Deliverer, that you forgive us of our sins, and you give us strength to overcome the challenges in our life. So would you release among us whatever we most need, each one of us, from you today as we seek to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.